Hello everyone and welcome to the third edition of our football show right here on the Cathedral of Sport. And again, the show has been hosted by me, Ash, and I'm joined again by regular co- regular co-host, Golden Retriever Enthusiast and Meadowbank's Bon Vivant, the Right Reverend Bobby Love. How are you, Rev? How's <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very well. I'm expecting the lad Noah to uh, park his up uh, at some point, um, any time outside my house in the next 10 minutes, such as the weather. Yeah, uh, but uh, yes, we're all we're all quite good. Uh, golden retriever Kevin is is a delight, um, <laughs> and you should all follow a golden called Kev on Twitter because he's amazing. <laughs> oh, by the way, Rev, thanks for asking. I'm 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 absolutely fine, mate. Bit of a feel like I got a bit of a cold. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I'm all right. Right, enough about me and and Rev. In this episode, we're going to go over the recent Europa League and Champions League finals. Got a little brief Scottish roundup for you and see how the league is shaping up here north of the border. We're going to debate why rugby fans are treated so differently to football fans and how big really is the class divide when it comes to the two sports and fandom in those respective sports. And we're also going to talk about a new show that we've come up with where super fans or season ticket holders from as many clubs as possible around the world can get on our podcast and be interviewed about the time supporting their club throughout their lifetime. Bob, we start with the finales, finales of European competition, which is the, we'll start with the Europa League. Absolutely fantastic game for the neutral, by the way. Sevilla winning it 3-2, edging Inter. Um, that's their sixth Europa League title now. Uh, they love that competition, don't they, people? Uh, Julian Lopetegui working wonders with a new squad. Despair for Inter, still without a European trophy in a decade now. The start of the game, Lukaku hauled down, tackled, rugby tackled in the area by Diego Carlos. Stonewaller red. Everyone in the studio was saying it was a red. I think the the expert referee that they've got on BT Sport that analyses all the decisions and whatnot, he said it was a red. But he got a yellow. Anyway, you, Lukaku tucked away the penalty. Luke de Jong equalised for Sevilla. Scored again on the 33rd minute to make it 2-1 to Sevilla. Diego Godin, who loves a European competition, headed goal. 35th minute, equalised for Inter. And then that man came back to haunt Inter again. Diego Carlos should have been off in the first half. Should have been off in the first few minutes of the game. Well, the first 10 minutes of the game. And uh, his shot came back off Lukaku. Registers a Lukaku own goal. And Sevilla closed out the game to win their sixth Europa League title. He's worked wonders with that squad. They're, they're a brand new squad. They've all been thrown in together. I looked at something the other day on, on Twitter and it's it said something like, it was like 11 or 12 new signings or something like that where they've had to be thrown into the first team squad. So he's done absolute wonders. On to the big one now, the Champions League final. Paris Saint-Germain nil, Bayern one. Kingsley Coman with the only goal of the game. Now, there were way too many squandered chances from the team from the Farmers League. And they deservedly choked again on the biggest stage of their history. Good. Neymar and Mbappe tears. Cry me a river. PSG, cry me a river. Bob, are they ever going to win that competition? Um, <clears throat> that's a very good question. Um, I think they really need to get rid of their gang, really. That would maybe help. 
Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they're, they're a, necessarily a hugely balanced team sometimes, but they, they seem to have this habit as well as if, if your team uh, doesn't win the required and they immediately get rid of their manager. And it would seem that Tuchel's already going to be on his way out just because he lost in the final, even though that's the furthest they've ever got. Um, so I, it, will really, it will really depend on if they can manage with stability. It will depend on who they can maybe get in. Um, obviously, reports are in Spain today with wee Lionel Messi deciding he's, he's chucking his toys at the pram and trying to invoke a clause to leave. PSG could be a decent destination because they're probably one of the only teams that can afford them. Yeah, that might get them over the hill. It might not. I think it just really remains. But I, I, I think I probably speak for many to say if they if they don't ever win it, then good. Um, yeah, it really doesn't make much of a difference to me who wins it because I'm quite as everybody knows. I'm not I mean the arrogance about the Champions League anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean the arrogance of them is is astounding. I mean. Uh, I know it's banter, guys. Come on. We know it is. Um, but Mbappe going on after Man City and Man United got knocked out in the semi-finals of uh, the respective competitions. Uh, talking about the English League being a farmer's league and stuff like that. Now, have they got any... I think the last team to win the Liga 1 in France was Montpellier quite a few years ago now, uh, before PSG got their, got their mega money. Um, and ever since then, PSG have dominated it. So apart from maybe one team that gets within 20 points of them per season, whether that be Marseille or whoever, um, it's pretty much a, a one-team league. So, Killian, I hope you've I hope you've swallowed that. And uh, I, I don't wish PSG the best. I don't, as, as you said, Bob, I don't think any football fan outside Paris does either. Actually, it's quite, uh, quite a funny I, I think, club. I because... think, sorry, I, I think as, as well, as my Madero granny would have said, all cash and no class. Well, totally. Gets up. That's kind of what gets it. Fans kind of go because there's loads of teams with lots of cash that people are a bit less um, grumpy about. We'll say, uh, but for some reason, PSG just invoke real kind of dislike, like a fever and dislike amongst quite a lot of people. Yeah, um, I, I mean, there are a team. Back in the nineties, I, I quite I actually quite like them uh, when they had the Bernard Lamar in goal, and you know that early nineties team that they got to like semi-finals of European competition. They're pretty pretty decent sides, and they just became again. We're going to go back to our first episode about teams becoming corporate machines and completely unlikable. Uh, I, I think PSG are the epitome of of what we're talking about. To be honest, go you know we're we're, we're going to move on to Scotland now. Um, a lot, a lot, a league that's a lot less arrogant, and, a t- and teams that are a lot less arrogant, so, so to speak. Results in the weekend: Lanarkshire derby, Hamilton beating Motherwell away one nil again. Hamilton seems to do really well at Fir Park. Rangers beating Kilmarnock at home two nil. Goals from Kemar Roof, the new signing, and Ryan Kent. St Mirren drawing at home to Ross County. John Abika on fire again. Now. I play fantasy football Scotland on the on the little app thing, the little uh, fantasy team thingy majig, and I, I I was I was told to put him in my team this week. I, I didn't, and I went for an Aberdeen. I think I went for Connor McLennan instead, and he doesn't even start games. I don't know what I was thinking, but he scored again, and I and I regret it. Dundee United narrowly losing at home to Celtic one nil. New signing Albion Ajeti with a goal after eighty three minutes. Aberdeen beating Livingston at home 2-1 and St. Johnson losing at home to Hibs with a Stevie Mallon 90th minute goal there. Sands Hibs still unbeaten. 
Bob, it's, it's shaping up to be, you know, I know you said last week on the last episode about Celtic having games in hand, and but they were really poor in the final third against Dundee United. Dundee United had chances against Celtic in the second half. Um, Celtic were very easy to hit on the counter. But again, which is, uh, I don't know what it is with, with teams here north of the border. When they get into the old firm's penalty area, whether it be Celtic or Rangers, they seem to get a bit ex- too excited and do, just do something daft. I mean, a couple of times in the, in the game, if a simple ball could have been played across the box and a Dundee United striker would have been in. But they've just like punted it into Rose Ed's. And I'm just like, don't panic. Calm down. It's three against one. What are you doing? Bob, do you think this is a problem with, with, with when when teams play the old firm? Um, <clears throat> it's been a problem since I started watching football in Scotland, to be brutally honest. In fact, I was even talking about this in the pub the other night, is that, that teams have this tendency almost to sit back too much. I mean, they're, they're sitting back, there's parking the bus and all that kind of stuff. And then there's like almost being like overcautious on top of that. And then when they actually, a lot of these teams... Over the years, if you start to attack them a little bit more and maybe counter a bit more, a bit more of a high press, they tend to struggle. For example, Hearts beating Celtic a couple of years ago, four nothing. They didn't give them an, like an ounce of room and kept at them and kept at them and kept at them, and it worked. They were still going to work yeah. for every team. I get that. You're not going to have the personnel. Um, you know what I mean? That that kind of thing plays a part. But even a lot of teams, even when they do do that, and it works, and they get to that box, they're like. It's almost a panic, like you say, of what am I doing here? How have we got here? And they just need to have that little bit more confidence to go on and finish those chances. And you'll probably see a slightly different kind of complexion, how things pan out. But until teams get over that kind of hump, because you know all the old firm Celtic Orangers are always going to come back at you for the entire 90 minutes yeah. and whatever the referee decides to add on. Um so you need to be prepared that if you're going to get two or three chances like that, you have to take them. Much like Hearts did in that 4 nothing game. Um, much like Livingston have done a couple of times at Almond Vale. You need to make sure that you can get them and make those chances count. And until they can learn to do that on a, on a kind of more regular basis, like they would against other teams, things are just going to continue as they are. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, referring back to that Livingston game, that was last season, I believe, Bob. I was I actually watched it in a pub in Belgium and... Uh, it was a perfect game plan by Livingston. I was thinking to myself, I think to myself, why can't teams do this and go at Celtic like this every single week? I know there's things like injuries and suspensions and all this sort of stuff that comes into play. But um, you got something on your got something in your throat, Bob? Uh, just a little bit. I've been suffering kind of uh, with with a slight sinus infection, so it's kind of coming out a little bit. Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, as we were saying, I, I don't know why teams don't go at, at the old firm like week in, week out, like Livingston last season. But Dundee United should have got a point. Now, I know, look, the stats, will, the stats will tell you different. Celtic had something ridiculous, like nine or ten corners to have uh, Dundee United's one and stuff like that. But look, they had the opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net. They outnumbered the Celtic defence on a few occasions in that second half. So I, I thought Dundee United made a... Oh, uh, Albeit the stats and the possession figures say otherwise, they made a good good account of themselves, and you know teams should look at that performance and think, you know, we can hit them on the break. They are vulnerable. They are vulnerable under Lennon. 
Hibs going well, Bob. Um, again, keeping a clean sheet. Again, a late winner. Do you think this this form will continue? Uh, <laughs> it'll be difficult for them, I think. Um, it's not the first time we've seen a team kind of race out the traps, early doors in the, in the Premiership over the last few years and then kind of fall away quite quickly. So it'll depend if they can keep on to their... If they can keep the players, the number one, like the good players, if they can hold on, hold off injuries, I believe that's Nisbet already injured. Um the defence hasn't lost a goal in open play yet, I believe. No. If they can keep uh, Porto probably fit and not booting people up and down the park and getting his usual obligatory red cards and <laughs> things like that, then uh, who knows? Who knows? They might have a good chance to do it. It's a long season still, um, but it will really just depend how luck. Luck's probably the best way to say it. If they have a bit of luck, they can maybe maintain it. You just have to see how it goes over the next uh, kind of few weeks or months, really. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have a good season this year. I, I, I think they are going to get into Europe. I, I possibly, I possibly see them pushing that third spot as well. I think Jack Cross has got them a lot better organised now, and there seems to be a bit more of a stability, and uh, especially in the defence now, because that was their, that was their big problem uh, last season was was getting the defence right. Livingston, I. Lyndon Dykes gone to QPR. He's just been called up to the Scotland squad for, for his first ever time, for his, uh, for his first cap. Big blow of losing him. And I, I, Bob, I think they're in for a very, very long season. I, I really do. Again, you, you, you really just have to see how that pans out. It depends if they invest the Dykes money um, wisely. It's not the first time we've seen a team that takes in a, a, a decent wedge of a transfer fee for one of, the, one of the better players and then just goes on to squander it. So if they can invest wisely, um, again, make sure their key players don't kind of pick up injuries, keep all the other key players, they might get out of it. It's a tight bottom. As again, we're only, what, four or five games into the season. You're really not going to have an idea of who might or might not go down until, I don't know, maybe talking to the turn of the year. And even then, history over the last few years has said that the team at the bottom round about Christmas doesn't necessarily finish bottom a lot of the time in Scotland either. So it's not a long season. It'll be a tough season, but it'll be a tough season for a lot of teams, I think. Yeah, um, that, that's going to be a bit of a dogfight down there, but in my opinion, Livingston, Hamilton. And Kilmarnock haven't had the greatest start either. So St. Johnson as well. Look, it, it's, it's, it's a tough one to call, but I... I'm going to stick my guns and I, I think Livingston and Hamilton are in for a really, really long season this year. Guys, we're going to move on to um, our topic of the week. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have noticed this, but going to, uh, uh, this is for the people that have been to a football match and a rugby match. So, how differently have you been treated at these games? Now, I went to a rugby game in 2017, with my with my missus, she took me for my birthday. Watch Harlequins to, uh, at Edinburgh and at Murrayfield, and she couldn't believe how relaxed it was. There wasn't a policeman in sight. There, like stewards were few and far between, and you know the crowd. Obviously, the crowd the crowd's quite different. There's not the same atmosphere at football. There's not, in my opinion, the same passion in the stands. 
but you could drink where you want. You could take your drink out to your seat. You could, and I just thought, I thought this is this is this is great. Why why doesn't this happen in football? And, and football fans question question this all the time. Obviously, non-league. There are a lot of non-league um, grounds, especially down in England, in, in the lower ends of the pyramid, where you can take your beer on the terrace and stuff like that. But we're talking we're talking kind of top end. Um, so it's national league and above, and in, and it, obviously in Scotland as well, where drink has been banned inside football grounds completely since the 80s because of two certain teams from Glasgow. Um, Bob, I've been treated completely differently at a football match and a rugby game, as, as I've just spoken about the rugby game, uh, my experience there. I went to an away game at Nottingham Forest once uh, with, with, with some friends on the train and we got back on the train after the game, went for a couple of pints in Nottingham. After we, 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 weren't, we weren't rowdy at all. We just wanted to get on the train, grab a crappy sandwich we got from a local shop, you know, eat that on the train and, and have a kip because it's about a two-hour train journey back. We, we just wanted to fall asleep. We were knackered. It was shattering. It was a cold day as well. So we didn't even have beer with us for the journey back. We had water and a sandwich or whatever snacks they, some of them had. We got onto, Anyway, we got onto the train and the police came on the train and hauled every single person that they thought was a football fan or an away fan back off the train and then told the train to go. I said, what, I said, what are you doing? I said, you're going to have to wait for the next train. We're putting all football fans on the next train. And so you're not basically, so football fans aren't mixing with general public, but there was not a single person causing any trouble. Everyone was quite quiet and subdued. It's a crap game, one, one draws. So no, no one was acting really hyperactive, but I, I, I turned around to a police officer and I said, look, I said, now people have got an hour to kill. You're going to have, there must have been about 200 on the platform. They must have hauled off that train. There was loads. I said, now people are going to be wondering what to do. So they're going to go to pubs, presumably, where well, we did. And now you're getting into the danger zone. You're looking about seven o'clock at night where people have had quite a few. And, you know, the locals are going to see a load of away fans walking into the pubs. And I, and I said, that could be a potential for trouble. I said, why don't you just put us, put us on that train? And keep us on that train. Well, no, no, no. We don't want mix but you know, we don't want people disturbed on the train by football fans stuff like that. There's another train coming in an hour, and we're putting you all on that. And I said, "Hang on a minute." I said, "So is that train empty coming in?" He went, "Don't know, mate," and walked off. And I went, "I turned that to my back. I said, that's a mate." And he said, "So he's putting us another tra- on another train with the general public." And I thought, the police have just done that to be arseholes. And I'm thinking, why? If that was rugby, that would never been the case. And I have seen rugby fans behave a lot worse than football fans. And I'm telling you, and Bob, we're going to speak about this now, aren't we? So <laughs> I'm going I'm to let, let you have your, have your say on this, mate. From what? From their behaviour or how, why, why, why we were treated as football fans differently or a bit of both? Well, we, we, we'll start with their behaviour. We'll start, we, we'll start with fans' okay. behaviour. In general, in my experience, now I've not been to a rugby union match. I have been to a rugby league match. Um, the behaviour from some is what you would call extreme anti-social behaviour. Now, there's not yeah. always fights, although I have seen fights break out amongst rugby fans. Um, but some of the behaviour is generally, generally poor. You know, like if a Scotsman at a football match was to flash, like. Flashes bits, shall we say, passers by with their kilts on, they would be arrested. Of course. Whereas if a rugby fan does that, oh, it's just a bit of hijinks, guys. 
when I was walking to the ice hockey one night at Murrayfield, there was still some lingering fans there after an international. I was subjected to a torrent of homophobic abuse because I was going to an ice hockey match and didn't attend the rugby. My my, my late mum used to work near, uh, used to live and work at Murrayfield, and some of the behaviour that she saw from rugby fans was beyond the pale, including one day opening her curtains to see a man defecating in her garden. Well, Bob, I mean, look, I've well, look, I, as I've told people in the in past shows that I left, I left London when I was in my late teens. I moved to a place called Western Supermare, which is very. I wouldn't call it a rugby town as such. There's a lot of football fans, but they're, they're, you know, there's there's two big main teams in that town, and they're on nights out every single week in the town centre on the on the seafront on all the bars and all that sort of stuff. And it's always them getting into fights. It's always them picking on people and the people that support them, like families and stuff like that. It's always them. All the doormen in town were just on their side it was all back slapping and oh how you doing how you doing and all that sort of stuff and they just literally got away with murder there and I've I've seen them in the flesh at the bar pissing in each other's pints swapping it between each other and necking it now could you imagine the the front page news if if that was football fans oh England fans at it again urinating in public, indecent exposure, all this stuff in packed nightclub or footballers. Because these, 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 these guys were actual rugby players for Western that were doing this, right? And uh, can you imagine like, oh, I don't know, Tottenham's players or <laughs> West Ham or somewhere like that out in town, out on a night out. I mean, uh, footballers do get up to stuff, as you know, Harry Maguire. But can you imagine if, if the public saw... Harry Kane pissing in Serge Aurier's pint glass, swapping it and necking it. Hey, come on. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a number of things going on there that we'll try and unpack. Yeah. We'll not try to pick on rugby fans for a start. There's quite a lot of rugby fans, just like there are the majority of football fans, who go to the games behaving in an impeccable manner and, and kind of just act, act fairly respectfully. Of course. There's a minority of each who act like complete and utter bellends. <laughs> Unfortunately, part of, the reason, part, part of the difference in how fans get treated is because how generally, one, the police, two, historical problems, and three, how the media portray each set of fans. Now, what all these also tend to do, these three, is they end up having politicians getting involved because they have to appeal to the, common, like the lowest common denominator usually in the press. So if you have, say, a headline in the Daily Mail or in Scotland, say, the Daily Record or something like that, saying football fans and outrageous behaviour, this must be stopped, politicians are going to generally act pretty quickly. Because also, with football being the biggest sport across the whole of the UK, these these incidents, incidences even, incidents, I'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, these incidents tend to get amplified a bit more. Now, the, the, there's... There's numerous examples of why, or sorry, there's numerous examples that you are policed differently. Fundamentally, it's probably a class issue where football fans are seen 
is like working class oiks who deserve to be put in their place and that football is a working man's sport and rugby is a gentleman's sport and all this kind of thing. And it's yep. not just football and rugby you get this. There's other sports where other fans are policed differently. Now, obviously, everybody knows I'm a massive ice hockey fan. Now, yep. you would never, ever see a policeman at an ice hockey game in, uh, in the UK, or I can certainly not remember any. Mm-hmm. Now, there's last, last year, it was a game in Manchester. Uh, a, a drunken fan who'd uh, helped himself to quite a number of tequilas in the bar, because I saw him doing them, walked onto the ice in the middle of the game and started having a little dance about, <laughs> and then had to get ushered off the ice. Now, if that had been fruit, now, now, now compa- there was no, everybody was giving it, hey, hey, and a wee laugh and a jake and all that, security guards, no bother, he just got bundled out the door. Now, compare yeah. that, compare that to say, the fan, the Hibs fan that tried to run on to to get it to Vernley a couple of years ago. Did yeah, he tried to attack a player? Right, yeah. But if you're on the middle of the ice, what damage can you cause in the highest, one of the highest paced sports in the world? What what damage could you do on the ice? What damage can you do to a player? Just even just by colliding into them in the wrong way, you can finish a player's career. So while he may not have been of attacking course, yeah. somebody, you are getting you are causing a menace. Yeah. Now. When it, when it came to that incident at Hibs, there was a big furore in the papers about do we need to have strict liability and all this kind of stuff. It all kind of indulged it. And then one of my lectures at uni, uh, one of my criminology lecturers, was on the radio a few days after that. So let's just put this into comparison. He says, over last weekend, of that weekend of that incident, there were two arrests in the entire of Scottish football. Right? Two. Mm-hmm. And one of them was that guy that got arrested. You compare that to something like a like a music festival like Transmit or something like yesterday. There was nineteen on one day and there was forty odds on the next day. With yeah. less overall over the two days that went to all football in Scotland over one. So you try and put this into some kind of objective measure, there's a, there's more hysteria around when football fans acting on like in a bad way. You know, if they misbehave. Now yeah, the guy might be going to attack to any and all that kind of stuff. To be honest, I would have probably fancied my chances with have beaten up help anyway. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so, well, well, football has this thing. They sometimes don't do, football doesn't do itself favour sometimes. But that no. doesn't mean you should necessarily treat them in a different way. And that's what happens. And when you start treating groups in different ways, and you can see this with anything, and this is basic sociological stuff, you start treating groups in different ways, they start feeling like they get pushed to the margins. Then you start pushing people in the margins, it then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of how they're meant to act and how they're meant to do. And then because yeah. of that, then you get policed that way and then so on and never decrease in circles. What you need yeah. to do is you need to, there needs to be a more grown-up thinking about how football fans are policed and how you approach football fans to kind of act in a more exemplary manner, even though the vast majority, 99.5% of Football fans do. Obviously, you get all shout your stand. You get all shout a stand in ice hockey match because I've heard that. You get all shouts at Speedway when I've heard that. Uh, for I know that people are going to watch rugby union matches, you get the same kind of shouts there too. Yeah. There needs to be a kind of like a, a more grown up discussion about how you act. Um, there's a wonderful article in Athletic for those that are subscribers from a couple of years ago about how to manage hooligans abroad um, and the difference about uh, how they were policed. So rather than try to kettle hooligans in, which just makes so people who had never ever been in that situation before, 
who had no history of football violence were literally just there with like maybe their dad and they're having a pint at like on the beachfront or something. They're then kettled in. So when you kettle people in, they then kind of end up like a bit like a caged animal. Yeah. But if you take it in a different way and you and you have more say community based policing and just having like no no kind of like riot gear on or anything like that. And just going around and speaking to all these fans, how you doing? Good to see you. Nice that you're here in my country and all this kind of stuff. The incidents of football violence were almost zero. So the yeah. difference in how you're policed makes a massive difference to how people behave. And that's just not for football. That's just life in general. Bob, however, look. Now, I know there's rivalries in rugby and stuff like that, and you've got your, your teams that don't like each other, but that's more on the pitch, okay? Now... Ever since football began, I, I've read plenty of stuff on the genre um, to keep my mind occupied uh, over the years. And football fans have been fighting and have had tribal instincts since day one. Now, is that a factor in why the police are different? Because, yes, you say it's a class thing. Um, well, we all know it is. But... I'm trying to look at it as a, a sort of different perspective here. Now, there's there's there's, report, there's reports of, of of Mill fans trashing trains in the 50s for no reason. There's there's there was a um, I think it was Preston. I read something from something like 1912 or something like that, and where they were at a mass brawl on the side of the pitch and and with with opposing fans from another team. And look, Bob, I mean. I'm 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 basically saying that football fans have never helped themselves. Now, yes, football football is more tribe um, tribal. It's it's more about the town to to me anyway. It's more about the town where you're from. About not me, well, not me personally. Um, in, in my perspective, because I've moved about so much and latched onto different teams where I've moved. But I'm talking about people where they where they've stayed and lived the majority of their lives. Um. Look, that they, they, they like a Burnley fan will see that this is Burnley, this is my town, this is, and they get really territorial about it. Um, so the people from Bolton, so the people from Brighton, so the people from Plymouth, so the Exeter. Do you know what I mean? It's, but in rugby, it's it's different. The, the 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 tribalism seems to happen on the pitch, not between the supporters. There seems to be no sort of intertown rivalries or it little sort of weird historical tribal grievances like you've got with the War of the Roses and yet the whole Lancashire, Yorkshire thing and the whole Scouse and Manx thing and the, the Scottish-English thing, Bob, yes, as, we, as we well know, the Welsh-English thing, the, the Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland thing. Do you know, it, it doesn't happen in rugby. Rugby in Ireland, it's all Ireland, for example. And why is it because everything's, the, all the aggression is done on the pitch is why people are so laid back off it. Or is it again, does it come back to the, the whole uh, so-called noble classes watching rugby and us working class plebs watching football? Um, I think it's possibly all over the above, but, What also, on that regard, is, is you're probably going to hear more reports of a punch-up in the stand at a football match than if you are at a rugby match. Yeah. Again, it goes back to how the media portray what happens. So, 
say for example, like that Hibs incident I said we, we, when we're playing Rangers, if that had happened at a rugby match, it would have just been oh, silly man, bit of hijinks, obviously had too much to drink. Yeah. There'd be no talk about suit liability. There'd be no talk about banning alcohol at rugby matches. It'd be very simple, but a hijinks. Football fan does that and the whole place goes in absolute meltdown. Right? That's not to say the guy at the Hibs was, was being anything other than being absolutely idiotic. But again, it goes to how the, the, the differences in treated between how it, how it gets portrayed as well. And then you all get into all this kind of like moral panics and people then wading in saying, oh, we need to do this and we need to crack down and all this kind of stuff. Yet when you actually bear down a lot of the statistics, a lot of them are actually is minimal. Absolutely minimal. Yeah. And as I said, like, I, like, I watched the behaviour, my mum watched the behaviour of rugby fans in and around Murrayfield. She says, and compared to that, she says the football fans were an absolute pleasure. You know, that was her words. She worked in a shelter housing complex. You'd have the football fans coming and helping the Excuse me. Uh, older people with their shopping, you know, moving bins and that out the way if they couldn't get their car and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Whereas rugby fans were going about, they were pushing them over, kicking them, you know, spilling their shopping over the street and all this kind of thing. But that wouldn't get reported. But if it was a football fan who'd done that, front page news, football fan attacks old granny. You know? Yeah, I mean, oh, well, like the, like the Heart Celtic game at Murrayfield where a glass was thrown. I'm not going to say who by, I don't know the perpetrator, but I know what team he supports, and I'm not going to mention that. Um, and it, it hit an old woman, and, and, and she was injured from that, and it was it was absolutely massive news. Now, as you said about before, about the defecating in somebody in, in, in a garden, um, where, where was that reported? Nowhere. Didn't even make the Edinburgh Evening News. Didn't even make, didn't even make Facebook. Did it? No. Well, this is it, and but look, look, Bob. I know, I know, I know what rugby fans. A min, sorry, a minority of rugby fans get up to. I've seen what rugby players get up to. Uh, they are no saints, as you know. Uh, uh, very much so. I know um, when I used to work in a city centre nightclub, uh, one rather famous Scottish rugby player whose behaviour was thoroughly abhorrent towards me. Uh, he will remain unnamed. Um, but it was certainly the worst, some of the worst behaviour I'd ever encountered working behind a bar um, from any punter. Do they, disgrace. Is this, again, is this a class privilege thing where they automatically think that they are going to get away with their misdemeanour? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I know I, that. I, and I've, I've also had friends who play rugby union. A lot of them have said as well that it, not not for them personally, but they know of like bigger teams and international teams and so on and so forth, where they feel that there is a bit of a well we can do what we want because we're of a higher standing than you are, and that goes into that goes into that goes into life in general as well. Of course, you know your differences. I obviously as a as a criminology graduate and so you'll be taking more criminology shortly. Um, like the class the class differences and how crime uh, works is quite prevalent in these kind of subjects. Yeah, and the difference that you'll see between how the judiciary and how police look at those from a lesser background compared to, say, those in highfalutin jobs. So generally, like, uh, the old saying is, uh, on the lines of the working class get prison and the higher class kind of get rich type idea. Um, yeah. 
and that's how and that's how it is. To do a lot of the time, you'll you'll have maybe like if someone was to commit fraud, for example, if they were working class, they would probably go to jail. If you're of a higher standing, if you're of a higher standing, you can almost get round it that it's like you'll have like a regulator getting involved instead. Unless it's a massively egregious problem, something like Enron or Barings Bank or something like that, you will yeah. see the differences in how these crimes are, are are kind of treated and how the sentences are handed down compared to those from one background to another. So what, what we actually see probably between football fans and rugby fans, if I've explained myself well enough, is almost a microcosm of what you see in wider society. And this isn't like a big, oh, Huha, poor me, I'm victim complex, working class or anything like that. It's, it's kind of borne out somewhat in evidence if you go and re- do some research on it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, just, it just turns into this kind of microcosm of higher class, lower class, we deserve what we get, you deserve nothing. You know, we're of a higher standing. You're not. You do what we tell you. I, I, as all crime is, as all law is, it's always the, the working. It's always the higher classes that make law and then punish the poor. I agree. Um, I totally, I totally agree with everything you said, mate. There's nothing I can, I can really come back at you with when you explain it so so well as you just have. Um, talking about that whole class thing coming. Uh, about society and stuff like that. Now, there is, it does, that that kind of sort of class privilege does come into football sometimes, doesn't it, Bob? Because now, if you, you go to a normal match day, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw a random club out there, um, say hey, someone like Dundee. Right? You go, you got a, so you got a Dundee match um, and, you, and you wear a Dundee shirt and, or whatever, or <laughs> Stone Island or whatever you want to dress like going to a football match and it's a 110% guarantee if you pulled the same antics as I've seen some people pull when they've been all suited and booted thinking they're top of the world just because they're in hospitality for the day okay that's it before they go to the ground they're, they're in the pub suited because the hospitality don't normally open to about 12 half 12 pubs open early that they're in before get a couple of drinks in and that rowdy as hell and if look I, I, I've seen some disgraceful behaviour by people that have been in the hospital Bob you were at Hamden the other year weren't you when, when Edinburgh City played Queen's Park you were with me yep. weren't you we, we, yeah I, I went we, we went through together and at the back of us for all our listeners at, at the back of us there were I wouldn't even class them as Queen's Park fans I, I, you know I, I don't know but all suited and booted, all in hospitality for the day. And their language, the way they were acting, could have easily, easily sparked a riot. But the stewards done absolutely nothing. Now, if it was me that did that, or a, a, normal, a, a normal group of guys, but just another group of guys in the crowd that done that, they'd have been slung out. Slung out straight away. Now, this is a whole class privilege thing again. Just because somebody has paid more for something, it does not give them the entitlement to act like an utter, utter moron. Well, as a, as a, as a very good example of that, um, and I'm sure if my dad listens, he'll be screaming at this part as well, because he'll remember it very well. We were sitting in a Hearts Celtic game at Tincastle many, many, many years ago, mm-hmm. when hospitality was just kind of starting to take off. Yeah, and The hospitality section wasn't far down from us on the Gorgie Road stand, and it's still there, but it's only primarily for, for home fans, I believe. And a very well-known Celtic fan, Tony Roper, who 
of all the excuse fame, a very famous Scottish comedy writer, uh, mm-hmm. as a Celtic fan. And he was in the middle of that. And Celtic scored. And he jumped up and just started abusing Hearts fans around him with a get it right fucking up years and all this kind of thing. Right? Yeah. And then the fans that reacted were the ones that got ejected. He got to keep his seat and got to carry on acting the way he was acting. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's absolutely unbelievable. I, 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 Bob, that's another great example there. Um, I, I've seen it, and I've been look. I've I've paid for that privilege before. I, I went to, I went to, I did hospitality when Edinburgh City were at the old Metabank. Me and my a friend of mine, Neil, the crooner, as is as is more universally known. <laughs> um, we went to hospitality that day, and we were treated like absolute royalty. Like we were. You know, I just thought to myself, you're not, normal fans aren't treated like this, but it's just because we're wearing a suit and we've paid more than the guy next to me who has, you know, who doesn't misbehave either and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And, but where, where, where was his, where was his welcome into the ground? Like I got, where was his, you know, being shown to his seat. And and it's just, it, I'm not saying you can't have hospitality in football. It's a, it's a big source of income for football um, football clubs up and down up and down the UK. And, and it's quite nice to do on an occasion. But, you know, be wine and dine and just in a different way, once in a blue moon. But, again, it doesn't give you the God-given right to act like a moron. Now, guys, everyone listening in, I want you to tweet us. I want you to engage with us about this at Cathedral underscore sport on Twitter, Facebook, Cathedral of Sport. Follow us on Anchor and you can send us a voice message or Cathedral of Sport at Outlook.com. Any way you can communicate with us, just communicate with us and talk to us about what we've been talking about. Everything that we've spoken about in the last, say, 20 minutes, talk to us about rugby fans versus football fans debate. Why is there a class divide? Why? Why? So many questions that need asking. I, I completely agree with Bob. I was going to say, I would also recommend a wonderful article by Old Fun Facts on Twitter, where there's a number of different examples, uh, some quite comedy-like and some not so comedy-like, um, about how the, the, the differences in each set of fans are treated. And I'd be very surprised if there's football fans who are going to listen to this, who then read that article and not go, yeah, I've experienced something pretty similar. So it's a good article to look up. Use it. Kind of in conjunction, what would you say and see what you can come up with? Yeah, totally, guys. Get, check them out. Old Firm Facts, really good, uh, really good Twitter page and, and really good for Scottish football as well. Moving on, we've got a new show coming up, guys. We've got a, a, a new thing, a new venture we're, we're going into um, because the F1 show, North American Sports Show, we can only do every few weeks because there's just not enough content for F1 you know as a Grand Prix every other week there's no point of just doing one and just doing the whole show in one we, we might as well double it up and do a, a double episode for you so to fill fill some gaps every week what we're going to do is we're going to interview fans from different clubs now it might sound a bit boring oh is it really just interviewing fans from different club but no I mean look we've 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 managed to agree to have on the UK's most dedicated fan, or he's called them the UK's most dedicated fan. We've also got interviews with Brighton fan, 
a Fulham fan that's been all over Europe. We've, you know, he's got many brilliant drunken stories to tell. It's not just like, how long have you supported the club? Oh, 10 years. Oh, yeah. Did you buy, did you buy this season shirt? Oh, yeah. Cost me 40 quid. No, it's, you know, there's, there's going to be there's <laughs> stories of, of, of good times, bad times, ups and downs. We've got, also got coming on the show, we've got Dr. Grant Campbell from Campbell's Football's podcast, um, who covers Scottish football and Northern Irish football. He's coming on to talk about his experiences with Aberdeen. So we, we've got a lot of a lot of fans lined up from different clubs. It, it's not going to just going to be your run of the mill interviews. It, it's definitely going to be worth a listen, guys. So remember to follow us, listen in, and listen out for when they will be published. Random facts for you this week, and this is this is pretty random. And I was scouring the internet, I think you know what would be a good one to to hit them all with this week. Apparently, in 1979, in a second-round Scottish t- uh, my words now, Scottish Cup tie between Inverness Thistle and Falkirk. That's not Inverness Caledonian Thistle because it's Inverness Thistle and Caledonian, two separate clubs. Before guys, all right. For those that don't know, Inverness Thistle and Falkirk in 1979 was postponed due to bad weather. Right, that's the second-round tie. But how many times was it postponed? 29 guys 29 times in a row without breath the second round tie Scottish Cup tie between Inverness Fissile and Falkirk was postponed that is absolutely unreal and apparently every single time it was because of bad weather now I know the weather gets a bit bad up there in the winter and it's a bit a little bit chilly but 29 times in a row it's Absolutely unbelievable. And for those that want to know, on the on the 30th attempt of the game, the game went ahead and Falkirk won by four goals to nil. Bob, is there anything else you want to touch on before I close the show? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think, I think that pretty much covers, covers what we're going to talk about this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think it's been a great show. I hope, I hope our listeners have enjoyed every second of it. Also, guys, we are back next week. We have got Carl Cleghorn coming on the show, the Musselburgh Athletic Chairman. That's part of our football show. He'll be on next week. From Falklands to Football Chairman, from the Falklands War to Football Chairman. It's going to be a great story. It's, it's, it's attracted a lot of interest amongst non-league circles and from and from friends of family of Carl and and stuff like that. So I can't wait to have him on. He's a he's a real character. He's, he's going to be a real great listen for you. Before that, though, we've got Andy Scott coming on this week to talk about his great uncle, Chick Cocky Knight, aka London's lovable villain. He was a, a wrestler in the 30s, boxer. He he had triple life-saving heroics, uh, and you know, and they're trying to petition to get him a plaque on Hammersmith Bridge. His his book, Andy Scott's book about Chick's life, is coming out soon. So he's coming on here to Tell us about, about Chick's story and promote his own book. So we, we've got that coming this week. That's gonna that's attracted a lot of interest as well. So we can't wait to interview Andy. We, there's plenty of shows to to look forward to as well in the future. More football shows, fan, fan guests, F1 show, North American sports show. And if you're bored, one Sunday hungover, or you, you, you're just lying in bed and think, oh, I can't be bothered to do anything today. There's been plenty of shows for you to catch up on. This is our third football episode. Last week, we, we interviewed Andrew Sketch Ward, the Muay Thai fighter. There's interviews with John Sitton and Mark Beard on there to catch up on if you haven't heard them already. So, guys, it's all happening with us. We're really busy. It's really hands on deck. And 
Bob, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you, and I will see you next week. Certainly will, Ash. I'll probably ask you next week how you're doing, because <laughs> I forgot this week. So, uh, <laughs> yourself safe. Be good. Yeah. If you can't be good, be honest. Thanks for the, the philosophy. Thanks for the the life coaching advice, Bob. And uh, by the way, this is this is this is uh, not a new thing where Bob doesn't ask me how I am. It's it's regular. Don't let him think that. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Bob, take care, mate. See you next week. Um, and keep safe. Take care. Ta ta. Thanks, guys. Thank you.